the podcast for Diligent Pastors, episode 10. Grow in your church leadership through encouraging interviews with pastors and those who train them. We strive to raise up men to love the Church of God and to take His gospel to the nations. I'm your host, Scott Chadwick. As a pastor, you know the need for serious Bible study for personal growth and to prepare to teach your congregation. I use Accordance Bible software for its original language tools, its growing digital library, and its usefulness in Windows, Mac, Android, and iOS. Accordance Bible software offers discounts to full-time students and faculty, homeschool families, full-time pastors, and many others. Take your Bible study to the next level with Accordance. Learn more at diligentpastors.com forward slash Bible software. For today's podcast, I wanted to highlight another article I wrote and was published on the Answers in Genesis website. It's titled, Pastors, Teach the Truth and Expose Error. It was first published in July of 2018. I mentioned as uh, an introduction the fact of Charles Spurgeon, renowned British pastor, who, when he started his monthly magazine called The Sword and the Trowel, explained the the title of that magazine by referring to the account in Nehemiah chapter 4 regarding the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem under Nehemiah's leadership, uh, while enduring a lot of opposition, verbal opposition, even militant and physical opposition. And so Spurgeon summarized his goal for the magazine by stating, We shall supply interesting reading upon general topics, but our chief aim will be to arouse believers to action and to suggest to them plans by which the kingdom of Jesus may be extended. We would sound the trumpet and lead our comrades to the fight. We would ply the trowel with untiring hands for the building up of Jerusalem's dilapidated walls and wield the sword with vigor and valor against the enemies of the truth. Well, Spurgeon referred to both the sword and the trowel, the sword which, of course, is refuting uh, and, and exposing error, as he described there, but also the trowel to build up the church. And his uh, figurative use, the dilapidated walls of the of Jerusalem. Now, of course, that responsibility for teaching the truth and exposing error is a chief qualification and required skill for those who church, serve as church leaders. Of course, church leaders are described as elders, pastors, or shepherds, overseers, or bishops, uh, all referring to the same group of godly, uh, mature men who lead and care for the church. These pastors must, of course, exhibit appropriate characteristics, which are mentioned in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 and 1 Peter 5. One of those characteristics focused on here in this article is that requirement that an elder must be able to teach or apt to teach. Paul uses that term in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, and he expands upon that definition or characteristic in Titus chapter 1 verse 9 where he says pastors must hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. That verse Titus 1 and verse 9 uh, forms the outline or the the content of the rest of this article from the uh, Answers in Genesis website and uh, I'll just highlight some of those some of those ideas from the article. We note that in that verse, Titus 1.9, all of the verbs are in the present tense, indicating that this requirement for holding fast and being able to exhort and to refute, it's an ongoing, continual task, always going on. We can never say that our work is done, because there's always more truth to obey, 
uh, more uh, per, both personally and in the church, and there will always be errors creeping into the church that need gentle correction and false teachers who need to be refuted. We note that this uh, requirement for being apt to teach is a requirement for all elders, a responsibility for all elders. Certainly, uh, various of the men may have a special affinity toward one or the other or both, but God has given us uh, that expectation that all would be able to be competent and confident to perform both activities of teaching and refuting when it becomes necessary and appropriate. Well, Paul begins that verse, Titus 1.9, with the phrase, holding fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. He says we need to know the scripture very intimately, very carefully. Holding fast it indicates a firm personal devotion or a reliance upon God's word. It flows from an ardent desire and proven ability to study and learn from scripture. As pastors, we must be able to converse theologically using biblical terminology. We need to be able to have a biblical worldview, always exercising God's viewpoint or perspective on things, always trusting that our own limited perspective is not uh, sufficient. We need to think and and, uh, try to apply God's word to the situation. We, of course, remember God's word to the Israelites when he said, These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. That's in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6. Or Ezra, the the scribe, the uh, Bible teacher, had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. That's from Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. We uh, want to make sure that we do not neglect the Word of God. Now, certainly, uh, there are many uh, temptations or obstacles that would tend toward our neglect of our study and devotion to the Word of God. Certainly, a full schedule of pastoring, uh, while also leading and caring for our own families, may tempt us to neglect the meditation on and study of the Scriptures. Uh, perhaps we don't appreciate the urgent need to be filled with the Word of God in order to, be, in order to faithfully deliver it to others. Now, could be that we're just lazy, complacent. We want to pursue other ministry strategies that we think will really make a difference in our churches, other than the teaching of the Word of God. Perhaps we have a low regard for the Bible as God's sufficient and authoritative revelation for our age, and we prefer rather to pay attention to what are hailed as more relevant voices. Maybe we're just afraid. Afraid of, the, uh, you know, afraid of man, what man may do to us. We're embarrassed, told to fast of the Scripture in the midst of a perverse and God-denying generation. Whatever the reason, uh, Dr. John MacArthur, pastor for many years in California, says if you're not holding on to the faithful word, then you're in no position to be teaching it. No one can teach or preach effectively without strong, personal, compassionate commitment to the truth. Well, what is it that pastors are supposed to hold to? It says the faithful word, that phrase faithful word, uh, or variations on it, uh, this is a faithful word, or or. Uh, things like that, appear several different times in the New Testament and emphasize the true and reliable nature of God's Word. It is a sure word. It is that, of course, delivered through his apostles and prophets. It's inerrant and infallible in its teachings. It's efficient in in its effectual work. God's Word stands in contrast to man's Word, which varies in reliability, truth, and effectiveness. God, who, of course, cannot lie, and the product of the what we have as the scriptures was not made by an act of human will, Peter says in first in Second Peter chapter one verse twenty one. 
the scripture was not made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So this is God's word, and we hold fast to what he has spoken to us. Of course, it says the faithful word must be in accordance with the teaching. What teaching is that? That is the teaching, of course, that is handed down by the apostles and prophets, from Moses to John, from Genesis to Revelation. Ephesians 2.20 says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the church is, that is. And, of course, the, even as the early church in Jerusalem devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, um, so now pastors should measure their teaching against the standard of the Bible. What are we teaching? Is it according to the, the teaching handed down to us from the apostles? And, of course, as we teach, we want to make sure that we elucidate the text, we enlighten the text, or, or bring light upon that text. Our people should be able to clearly derive, hey, that teaching, I see that from the text. Obviously, it's right there. If our teaching is not inherently obvious from the text, we must either show how we derive our ideas from the text, or abandon that line of thought entirely. We should also be reticent or reluctant to present a new idea that we may see in a text, but we cannot corroborate that from other students of the Bible throughout history. We don't want to seek to be innovative. If we have a new thought, new approach on the scripture, we should be very careful, very reluctant to teach that authoritatively, lest we uh, teach errant uh, doctrine. We follow the, the example of Jesus when he said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. John 7, verse 16. So we follow the Lord Jesus Christ in teaching uh, authoritatively from the Scripture, from what God has said. We don't accrue to ourselves authority beyond our station as teachers of the Word of God. We want to make sure that our authority uh, in the congregation comes from our teaching and handling of the Scriptures, not based on personal preference or or those kinds of things, but always formed and, and followed from the Scripture. The Apostle Paul says that the purpose and necessary result of a pastor's devotion to the Word of God is twofold, that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. The goal, purpose, and necessary result is that he will be able. There is a, an equipping mode for the Scripture and the, our personal devotion. We want to be competent. We want to have these skills to... Um, to be able to teach and to refute. Of course, we want that truth from Colossians 3, verse 16, to be true of us, to let the word of Christ richly dwell within us, to be at home in us, to have no nooks and crannies of our lives that are hidden or attempted to be hidden from the light of God's truth. We want to make sure that we are ourselves wholly obedient, well, to the degree that we want to ever-increasing degree to be wholly obedient to the Scriptures. And, of course, even the most eloquent teachers, like Apollos, there in Acts 18, can grow in understanding and skill to teach the Word of God more faithfully and more effectively. While God gives certain levels of giftedness and effectiveness to certain pastors, all pastors have the responsibility to serve the, uh, serve the church with the truth. Well, those two ideas, then, to sum up this article, uh, is the, to teach the truth and to refute error. Pastors must teach the truth, the truth of God's word. This word translated here as exhort, to exhort in sound doctrine, has a sense of making an urgent appeal. It's indicating the imperative nature of the teaching. It's not just uh, opinions or uh, helter-skelter ideas. This is an authoritative and urgent and imperative uh, teaching from God's word. 
Paul says, uh, similar to Timothy, and of course we're reading in Titus chapter 1, but in Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2, Paul says that he should teach and preach these principles. Preach there is the idea of exhorting, urgently appealing to our hearers to follow. And in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2, he says to preach the word. Preach there is that idea of proclaiming or heralding to be the ambassador of God in this world, indicating his prerogative, his authority. This idea then also is exhorting in sound doctrine, has the expectation that lives are going to change as a result of our teaching. To exhort in sound doctrine is to appeal to people, change your ways, uh, live for God's glory, live in obedience to him, live to let other people see that light that is in you and to glorify your Father who is in heaven. We should not teach merely to impart knowledge, but also to change lives. As Paul says to the Thessalonian church, he says in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1, We request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel, excel still more. There's more you can do. There's more practical ways that you can be obedient and submissive to the Lord. Paul says to Titus that elders are to exhort in sound doctrine, to give correct and accurate teaching to the church. This word sound is the idea of healthy or life-giving doctrine, and especially in that context of Titus chapter 1, it's in contrast to the, uh, and also in the other pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, he mentions the sickly and diseased and unprofitable doctrine of the false teachers, that we want to to give healthy or sound doctrine. Uh, of course, that word healthy can refer to physical health, many times it does, but also figuratively to healthy or life-giving uh, ideas here, especially the doctrine that we provide. All these things, of course, teaching, exhorting, uh, giving sound doctrine is that pastors much must teach truth with a view toward the maturity of the church. A maturity measured by increased knowledge, of course, greater discernment, but also the uh, the truth as it's manifested in character and conduct that is uh, appropriate to sound doctrine. Titus 2 uh, and verse 1 mentions that, to have a character for godly older men and older women and younger men and younger women, to have a character, a conduct that is appropriate to sound teaching or fitting with sound teaching. What a joy that we have knowing that God's word is powerfully able to to affect change in the lives of those who humbly follow its teachings. We want to remember and celebrate this truth. 2 Timothy 3 verse 17 says, "We, We teach the scriptures so that the man of God may be adequate, or we receive the scriptures here in this context, uh, the, the equipping of the scriptures here, to be adequate, equipped for every good work. God's word is able to make us adequate and equipped for the work that God has given to us to do. And this tremendous verse in really summarizing Paul's motive and his ministry model in Colossians uh, chapter 1 and verse 28 and into 29, where he says, We admonish, uh, we proclaim Jesus Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present every man complete in Christ. Paul is after the maturity or the completeness of each individual believer in Christ, and therefore he admonishes and he teaches and he teaches Christ. He admonishes 
the message of Christ, the gospel, the the sanctification that we have in him, the hope of his return and our resurrection, the glory that is ours to, to be had. Well, all these things are that aspect of teaching the truth to exhort in sound doctrine. Secondly, of course, in that verse, Titus 1 verse 9, pastors are to expose error, to refute those who contradict. What are they contradicting? They're contradicting sound doctrine. Well, we've got to be able to discern. We need to discern error to show false teaching to be contrary to Scripture. Now, this refuting is not just a rebuke or a reprimand, verbal reprimand, but it is a thorough debunking of contradictory teachers. Uh, D. Edmund Hebert, uh, in his commentary on Titus and Philemon, says, To refute someone signifies a presentation of evidence so that the arguments of the opponents are beaten down and proved to be baseless. Wow. To refute those who contradict. Now, it's amazing, uh, given Paul's characterization of Cretan peoples. The Crete is the island where Titus was ministering there, as in accordance with uh, Titus, with Paul's letter to Titus was, I left you in Crete for various reasons, verse 5, chapter 1 mentions. But the Cretan peoples, uh, Paul uh, does, identifies several aspects of how um, debased, how immoral they were, and yet Paul says to Titus, go rebuke them so that they may be sound in the faith, Titus 1 verse 13. There is an expectation, a hope, that as the scripture is being taught there on the island of Crete, that they could become sound in faith. There is that uh, rebuke, there is that refuting that goes on so that there can be uh, redemption, transformation uh, by the power of the gospel so that it can even overcome centuries worth of ingrained wickedness in that civilization on Crete. Paul says something similar to to Timothy, rather, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, a tremendous uh, lesson for us as, as God's stewards, or here the Lord's bondservant, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may become, or they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. There is that transformative power uh, Paul mentions there in Second Timothy two, and and uh, yeah, in verses twenty four and twenty six through twenty six. We uh, would normally expect genuine believers, you know, uh, regenerate uh, folks, to respond favorably to sound teaching. Uh, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, that we ought to respond well to him as an indication of the spirit of truth indwelling each believer. But you know, some professing believers have suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. First Timothy 1 verse 19 says, there are those who have been defiled in conscience and, and are no longer able you know, to have this conscience seared. Whether they're genuine believers or not, God will, will discern. But from our perspective, we exhort, we refute, we appeal to people, be reconciled to God. There are those who are false teachers who continually afflict the church with error. There are those who will rise up and teach things that are just not right. And unfortunately, some gullible yet professing Christians will be deceived. And they're going to fall away from the faith to follow these deceitful teachings. This is a dangerous thing. This is why truth matters. This is why it must be held up, uh, certainly at the level of the elders, to be devoted to the faithful teaching, to be holding fast to that so that we can help people, not to be 
deceived by false doctrine. What seems to be so nice and so interesting and innovative and everything, but it's, it's wrong. It's not according to the scripture. Why do teachers do this? Why do teachers teach false stuff? Well, a couple of reasons. Uh, we may be tempted, now hopefully we, but false teachers may be tempted to adapt their message to seek the favor of men rather than the favor of God. And that tends, of course, then, if you're not, if you're not looking for the favor of God and you're looking for the favor of men, you're not going to be holding God's word. You're going to be teaching that because God's word uh, opposes or confronts our error, our sin, our disobedience. And, of course, people want to have their ears tickled. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4 says, so there's both the attitude of teachers, uh, the perspective of teachers, but also those who are listening. They want to have their ears tickled. And he says they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and turn their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. comes back from to desire. What do you want to, to hear? And we want to hear things that are good, that makes us feel good and, and look good and everything. We don't like that message that brings uh, conviction of our sin, how we need to change, and even our our depravity that needed to be redeemed by a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, even the sacrifice, the suffering of Christ. Uh, that's kind of a message not so popular these days. And yet, somebody had to die for sin. Thankfully, Jesus died in our place. And those who put their faith in him can receive the benefits of his death, burial, and resurrection. What another reason? What's another reason why we may seek after false teaching? Well, or, or even teach that false doctrine? Because we're fascinated with new or otherwise secret knowledge from the scripture. We think, oh, this is something new. This has never been seen in the scripture before. Well, you ought to be very careful in, in teaching that then. Um, now, of course, sometimes we fail to interpret the scriptures correctly to discern the truth. We ought to show ourselves approved. Uh, we have to study to show ourselves approved unto God as workmen and not need to be ashamed. We want to make sure that we are, are correct in our study of scriptures and then, of course, being equipped to teach that to others. A third reason, uh, among many, why false teaching goes on in the church is that we can tend toward selfish ambition or vain conceit that prevents us from being of the same mind. Philippians 2 talks about this. And so we can divide over doctrine, not because we are, we're convinced of the truth of it in the scriptures, but because we have a party spirit or we're trying to um, make good or, or manifest our pride in being correct or being truthful. Well, we want to be um, valiant for the truth. We want to make sure that we are, uh, again, Second Timothy 2.15, to rightly divide the word of truth, but not for the purpose of selfish ambition or vain conceit. As much as it depends upon us, we want to agree with other people regarding the scriptures. Now, of course, there are uh, situations where we cannot and must not, and and to agree with other people would be uh, not pleasing and honoring to God and, and the scriptures. But we must be vigilant to teach the truth and refute error. This must be our our um, emphasis in our in our teaching and our uh, shepherding ideas. What does it mean to be a pastor, elder, overseer? Well. First of all, it means to hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he'll be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. 
We must stand on the clear word of God as if our lives depended upon it, and they do, and those who hear us. 1 Timothy 4, verse 16 says, Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you'll ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And all of our teaching and refuting must be careful to love God and compassionately care for others, being valiant for the truth and aggressive in love. Speaking the truth in love, we grow. Ephesians 4, verse 15 says... Now remember that as a teacher of God's holy word, we will incur a stricter judgment, James 3 and verse 1 says. So elders must faithfully shepherd the church of God, and may the Lord give us fruitful labor in his name. Go and teach the scriptures, hold fast, exhort in sound doctrine, aim for that maturity of the church, the growing up, becoming more complete in Christ as a result of our teaching. And when there is error, especially as you have it personally, uh, experienced or or you have uh, folks in your own congregation who are uh, dabbling or being exposed to false doctrine, you make sure that you help them to recognize the errors of those teachers and that, that doctrine, that book, that sermon series, whatever it may be, uh, not in a, in a uh, vindictive um, way, but in a way that, that teaches what is right and holy and true according to God's word. Uh, remember, our, our chiefest aim is to please God and help other people to walk in a way that pleases God, to bear fruit and increase in the knowledge of God. May the Lord help you as you do this work for His honor and glory in your local church. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Find show notes for this episode and more at diligentpastors.com. Remember to take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord. You may fulfill it.